TheChairShot.com. Always use your head. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Five Rounds Podcast. The other podcast out there with the cardio for those deep water championship rounds. I am Mags, and with me today, my son, Carlos. Carlos, how are you? Tired, but... Yeah, <laughs> back on actually watching some UFC though, which is good, and uh, it's the start of another quite lengthy run of uh, weekly events for UFC, so can't really complain that much. Um, we've just literally finished watching UFC Fight Night Vegas 18, uh, Alistair Overeem versus Alexander Volkov. I'll uh, just quickly run through these prelims. So we started the card in the featherweights with. Ode Osborne getting a first round knockout against Jerome Rivera. Then we stayed in the featherweights and we saw Timo Valiev picking up the decision against Martin Day. Third featherweight in a row, uh, Choi Seung Wu getting the decision against Yusef Zalal. Uh, and then going into the flyweight division, Lara uh, Procopio picking up the decision against Meatball Molly McCann, who uh, left her uh, gloves in the octagon, uh, maybe signalling that uh, Molly McCann's time as a fighter no, might no, be done. No, 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 she put her tweet out basically saying that she did it out uh, for her dad, like she's still oh, got okay. five left in her, she's okay. not retired. Fair enough. Uh, then we went into the women's bantamweight and got another decision, this time Carol Rosa against Jocelyn Edwards. And then a catch weight for the feature prelim with Devonte Smith picking up the second round knockout against Justin James. Um, going into the main card, started with uh, um, Danilo Marquez versus Matt Rodriguez. Oh, what a great fight as well this was to start the uh, the main card with uh, some absolute brilliant ground game by Marquez. Uh, first round especially, um, I felt that... Um, he was very much able to take down Rodriguez at will. Uh, when when it was uh, when it was on the feet, Rodriguez obviously looked a lot heavier hitter, uh, landing a lot um, a, a lot more shots. But he just couldn't stop uh, Marquez from taking him down, and uh, the control and the kind of uh, positioning that Marquez had uh, whilst on the ground. Um, just really was so impressive for me. Uh, so going through the first round and then into the second round, he basically had his his way with Rodriguez when he felt like he wanted to go on to go for a takedown. More often than not, he was able to to land it and was able to um, just. What what impressed me about him most was the, how calm and deliberate he was on the ground. He, he didn't rush. He just took his time, knew how to work his opponent uh, enough to, to make him make the mistakes and for him to get in position. Um, and at the end, he was able to, to get the, the hooks in, latch uh, basically the figure four around the body, uh, was able to, to get the chalk. Uh, Rodriguez tried his best to, to, to fight it out, but... Uh, Marquez just absolutely put him asleep, and I'm and I'm not even kidding. He was a tough guy for Rodriguez not to tap, uh, and he just went fast asleep. And Daniel uh, Marquez picks up a great uh, uh, submission victory. Great victory for him. Uh, Rodriguez has been one of these guys who's been in the UFC for just over four years, and win loss, win loss. Mm-hmm. And I think one overturned, and so he's. It, this is a good challenge. This, this was a good challenge for. Marcus to, for his second bout in the UFC. Yep. 
The one thing about Marcus in this fight, even though he controlled the first and second round uh, for me, and like you said, he was able to have his way with Rodriguez, he was seeming to slow down going, going that halfway through to the second, going to the third. Now, if you were to watch his last fight, he basically did the same going into, yes, it was a foot, he won the fight by a decision, but he was absolutely gassed out in that third round, and it looked like he was going. It looked like he was going into the third round the same. Um, luckily enough for him, we were able to pull off the rear naked choke, which, again, a lot of people will look at that and, and wouldn't really notice the little details that goes on in there. And You can tell that's one of the things he practices, because if you get a good rear naked choke, 10 seconds, mm -hmm. 10 seconds or something, you, you, you can put your opponent to sleep. And you can tell this is one of the submissions that he's comfortable with, because he were able to get Rodriguez in a in a rear naked and before you even knew it Rodriguez were trying to fight that hand and and he he were already he were already fast asleep. Yeah. Um a very kind of like um it's a kind of victory that, that Marcus will look back on as like a massive highlight of his career. And like you said, Rodriguez has been like uh, on and off with wins and losses but uh for to get your your second victory in the UFC uh, in that kind of manner is a is a, a great start in your in your career with the company. Um, going into the the second fight on the main card, Benil Darius and Diego Ferreira. Wow, for me this was an amazing fight to watch. I loved every single second of it. It was it was a clinic for me on on really really good well rounded. Uh, MMA action. Both guys were were landing absolute bombs on the feet. Both uh, and especially uh, Ferrari, his, his his shots were like absolutely laser accurate. But uh, both were landing big big shots. When it come come to the ground, um, Darius uh, was was excellent with uh, with the control. But um, Ferrari was was brilliantly working off his back. It was a real kind of like almost like a showcase of 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 uh, all the different kinds of uh, disciplines that you need to be a well-rounded MMA fighter. Um, for me, the, uh, I felt that Darius uh, definitely deserved the victory, even though there were quite a few times where he got rocked and he looked like he was uh, was out on his feet uh, with, with the shots from Ferreira. When it comes to the ground game, Darius was just able to get the plenty of, of top control, plenty of uh, attempts at submissions. Um, it just—it was just a really solid uh, fight for 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 Darius, and especially uh, with someone who's so higher in the rank from me. I mean, both these guys were on massive, massive win streaks. I think um, Ferreira was on a six-fight win streak. And Darius was on a five-five win streak. Both guys should have had a, a way higher ranked opponent than they actually got. Uh, but the the fight happened, and and uh, Darius picked up a a, a great victory. Um, he took a lot of damage, but he's he's, he's come out of it, and his uh, win streak continues. And unfortunately, he gives a uh, he gives Ferreira another loss. I think you're all wrong as well as the judges. I think Carlos won that fight. <laughs> I'm only joking. He, he, Darius, well, he deserved victory, but these he fought six years ago, something like that. Yeah, twenty well, seven nearly, twenty fourteen. Oh, yeah. seven years. See this, so this was terrible. So this could uh, could have been looked at as another McGregor Poirier moment. And in a way, Darius said that he doesn't want to go one and one because he wants to go two and zero oh and, yeah. and say that he's the better fighter, which is fair enough. You can 
you can understand that, but every fighter evolves coming to the certain case, and now you can see both these two fighters generally were ground fighters, because if you were to match them up against strikers in the UFC, you probably wouldn't have them in your top 10 come the end of your list. But when it comes to ground game, are they both credible black belts? Yes, they are. Did Dariush have the best on the ground? Yes, he did. And I don't think that's because Carson's ground game is poor. No, I, th- I, I thought he was really good on the, in defen- defensive-wise. Um, maybe not so much in, in terms of getting his own submission uh, positions off, but defensively, just watching him, it was like it was seriously like watching a showcase, like two, like going to a, a seminar and and watching two uh, wrestlers or two uh, jujitsu practitioners show you how you like counter and and counter counter moves. It was really good quality uh, ground game for me. It definitely were obviously both of them, like Darius. You were able to well both of them, for instance, like. Uh, I can't remember who pointed it out, but a lot of the times, yeah, they were using the legs to use them as traps to get up, and you don't see a lot of people doing that. You ever see them trying to brute force it or kick mm-hmm. off and try and stand up? You don't see a lot of people trapping legs and doing little little tiny sweeps that you don't really notice, and these two did them perfectly, but I think Carlos's game were more coming into the fight as a stand-up more than out, because this fight, I don't know how long it got put together. I think it was only like three or four weeks or... Not long, because Darius was actually supposed to be fighting somebody else. Off the top of my head, I can't remember, but he, he basically accepted the fight uh, with Carlos on short notice. Um, so what a professional he is uh, in that concept. So, uh, And I think his opponent, who he was, who he was training for, was a, a hard, hard grappler more than all. So for him to go in there against Carlos, and fuck it, I know he's evolved, and I know he's got better at striking, and so is Darius, and... I do think Carlson's got a little bit better at striking than Darius, and yeah. I think that's why Darius had to switch his game up with trying to take it to the ground as much. Because we've seen both of them have come a long way in the striking department over the last couple of years with the, some of the spectacular knockout highlight reels that they both share. Um, but Darius was just the the better man in this one, and he moves on into he can move on into the top five uh, five rank and. Just the, the end of it. What were you on about? Did you understand that? Was he saying uh, that that prayer again? What what? Who were he calling it, out? Was no. he calling him out to fight or saying to UFC, give him a give him a chance to fight? No, he was saying uh, in the post fight interview that uh, this fight really shouldn't have happened because obviously he was one up on on Ferrer in the first place, and the fact is both of them have got so much better over the career they're both on massive fight, uh, win streaks they both he felt that we both should they both should have got a top five opponent uh, not uh, facing each other who were just on the edge of the top ten um, so that's what he was getting a bit uh, frustrated at, I think I think after that I think after that performance because uh, even though he, he, he lost I think he will get the top five uh, mm-hmm. the top ten not a top five a top ten opponent next he's <laughs> But he had a performance like that. He, he, he lost by a point, and to be honest with you, he, he came back strong that uh, third round. So to say that you 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 took a beating for ten minutes straight, and then you're able to come back and and in the judges' eyes, take the fight, or not enough to win the fight, but just take that round. And, yeah. And, and and as well, good on him for his coaches. Like DC even shouted about like the coach. Some coaches bullshit the fighters more than out and 
He's coaching him, straight up to him, do you want to win this fight? Well, if you want to win it, you're going to have to go finish him, because if you don't finish him, you're losing this fight. Simple as that. To be fair, to be fair a lot of the coaches in, in this event did the exact same thing. You know, I think I only I only realised, I only seen the coaches doing that after when DC said it. Like, mm-hmm. After when the first people did it, and DC said something, obviously them coaches have been watching the screens backstage. So it's like, it just makes you wonder, if they've done it just to please the, the fans, because the commentators picked it up. Do you reckon they would have actually done that in the first place? Yeah. Or do you reckon they, they just would have been one of them coaches who, like I said, bullshits the fighters a lot? Yeah, who knows? But uh, at the end of the day, having a bit of honesty is refreshing uh, when it comes to your, your, your corners. Absolutely. Uh, uh, but going into the, the the third fight, and this could not have been night and day compared to uh, the Darius and Ferreira fight because uh, this was a... This was a a drag to watch um manel cape uh, versus alexandra pantoja uh, pantoja is usually quite an exciting fighter uh, to watch and to be fair to him he did his best to try and make this fight at least uh, a little bit entertaining unfortunately uh his opponent who's met was making his debut just didn't seem to want to engage didn't seem to want to uh to throw any shots uh, in the first two rounds I would I'd be shocked if he's through more than 10 shots because he just didn't look it looked like he was waiting for a perfect opportunity which when you when you find someone as dynamic as Pantoja you can't wait for that opportunity you've got to go out and create the opportunity uh, so for the first two rounds uh, Pantoja was able to just uh, stick and move land the kicks and uh, and the punches and, and then just get out of the way uh, knowing that, that um, Cape was just not going to throw anything and when we did throw some stuff it was it was exciting you can tell he's definitely got some sort of uh, power and skill there especially at the, the end of the, the first round he, he threw almost like a um and like an acrobatic kick uh which it did miss and he ended up uh, going on his back but at least he showed a little bit of um skill and a little bit of uh, quality there but it, there was just too little too late of it uh coming into the into the second round it was a lot of the same it was just getting tagged and and not giving anything back um Weirdly though, in the second round, he seemed to be quite comfortable standing like in the in the form box and taking the shots, but not giving any out, which was really weird. Like he he wanted an ass whipping or something. Uh, third round, he did kind of up the pace a little bit, but it was it was just too little, too late. You can't you can't stand there and and basically take a, a whipping for two rounds and then just think oh I'll turn it up in the third round and, and pick off the, the victory because it's not going to happen and it got even weirder when he was kind of like trying to showboat as if he as if he was winning the fight when he clearly wasn't um, anyway it went to the judge's decision um, and and Pantoja got for me I thought the um, the, the victory was well deserved um, so I mean, there's not really a lot more to say because there was not a lot of action in this fight. Well, so the, the, like you say, Panjoa tried his best. I think a lot of people forget about Panjo, um I'm just going to call him Alex. <laughs> I think a lot of people forget about Alex. Like the, he's very good off his back. And the, because he's Brazilian, a lot of people stereotypically, I think, just jump to the fact that he's, oh, he's Brazilian, he's good. At, he's in the UFC, he, he must be good at, he, he must be a uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu guy, and 
a lot of them were surprised out to find out that he started out in Muay Thai and yeah. he's undefeated in Muay Thai. And, uh, so when it comes to stand up, he's not bothered about walking you down because if you try and take him down, he'll he'll welcome it because he'll either reverse it or counter it or or get back to his feet. So he's not too bothered about it. Um, so going on to obviously the Manuel, he for me he seemed like he had the obviously the first first octagon jitters. Yes, fair enough, he's a professional in other organisations, but the UFC is the biggest one with the biggest stars in it. So you're gonna have some sort of nerves coming in there and. I think he as well. He came into the UFC with, I don't want to say a heart train because it's not exactly a heart train, but he had eyes on him coming into the UFC. He had expectations, if you if you would, uh, and unfortunately he didn't live up to them. And I think his career outside of the UFC, doing that sort of Dominic Cruz and Anderson Silva sort of fighting style, yeah, worked for him against these opponents who on elite level opponents who will get a bit confused with your the way you movement, you're so confident with your hands down and mm-hmm. like you say, it, it, I think it were in the first first round where he did the Ali shuffle and it were like some fighters, yeah, fair enough, they'll get confused about it. it's like, oh he's too, he's confident with his, like, his foot movement, isn't it? Like Jesus Christ. Um but yeah, like you say, he didn't do anything, he weren't active, he were he were making it look like he were active, but he wasn't doing anything and I think Alex actually. I think now I don't know if it's. I don't know if it'll come out or if he'll say it, but I do believe Alex hurt him. Alex hurt his leg because he was switching stances, but he was very right leg heavy. Like at the first he was switching, and then as soon as he went to southpaw, Alex was blasting that lead leg, and then he was switching straight back to orthodox. So it was like oh, and when I saw that, I'm like, he, he was moving weird on that leg, like he weren't. Even though he was moving around a lot, sticking and moving, sticking and moving, he wasn't switching stances and he wasn't really throwing the leg a lot. So maybe that could have that could have took it off his game. Obviously, like um, McGregor last couple of weekends ago, when Dustin kicked his leg, he get kicked in the leg. It's a, especially in the different parts of like the calf kicks, because that's what Alex was throwing a lot of them calf kicks at the the basically kicking into the ankle and. A Muay Thai guy, it'll kick you all day. It won't. That's what Muay Thai. A lot of Muay Thai's elbows, knees, and kicks. A lot mm-hmm. of people know it for that, and you, you can just tell Alex is one of them Muay Thai guys, and he, he he were able to get the job done over a opponent. Like I said, had eyes on him, and I just think Manuel is he's good. You can see the talent. You can see the potential in him. Now the cockiness that he brought in, I liked it. I can't say I don't. I didn't like it, but. You've got a a massive group out there who only like that sort of stuff when it comes to winning. Because when they'll they'll quickly jump on you. Oh, look at this cocky guy. He's like, oh, look at Kevin Lee for instance. How much shit he talked and how much shit people give him. And it's like you you can quickly have them fighters and fans sort of turn on you in that sort of aspect. So it's again, I like his cockiness, and he has got potential there. Just. Unfortunately, in this fight, he, he didn't have what it took to actually get get on the judges' scorecards in a way, and he were a bit pissed off as well, weren't he? After the decision went out, he were a bit shocked, like he, he didn't win the fight, and yeah. <laughs> I, again, he he made it look like he were doing enough. So in his head, he probably were in his head. He probably thought, yeah, I'm in the right to be pissed off here because look at all this stuff I were doing. I were doing this tagging and moving. I were doing this lot, but. 
I think like, either DC or, or um, who's the ball called DC? Dominic Cruz, Daniel Cormier. I which one of the DCs? <laughs> can't remember which one they said it. But when he goes back and watches that tape, he'll he'll realise how many leg kicks and calf kicks he actually absorbed, and how many times he actually got tagged. Uh, so it's it's just one of them. You 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 lose and you learn. But in this case, for Alex. You win and you move on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, going into the next fight, fight of the two veterans, um, Claire Guida versus Michael Johnson, and this was exactly what you would expect from a Claire Guida fight. Just action from the from the opening klaxon to the very I'm end. Telling you, they feed him cocaine, that guy. <laughs> I'm telling you, before the fight, they, you, Ray Fabio must be there just with a teaspoon of cocaine, just like, go on. Come on, he's getting ready for your fight. Come on, he's just wired constantly. He, he, yeah, even at, even at the end, I mean, he picked up the uh, unanimous decision. Uh, but even at the end, when the uh, ref was holding his arm up uh, for the victory, he was just bouncing. He started off exactly how he would start off, running to the middle of the ring, um, just landing great shots. Um, typical Clay Guida gets cut. Uh, he had a cut in in his hairline. Uh, so he starts bleeding pretty much straight away. A great slam from Guida to uh, to Johnson to to get him onto the onto the floor. Um, Guida did really well in that this first round to to keep Johnson down on the floor for quite a while, but uh, Johnson was able to get up. But uh, Guida was just relentless in in his, his his attack. So so this guy reminds me of Justin Gaethje. We've just he doesn't have any kind of like reverse gear. He just goes forward whether he's getting hit or not. I mean we've seen him get knocked out and he's fell forward when he's been knocked out. Um, but he uh, landing some massive shots. Johnson uh, proving he's got a, a good chin. Um, going into the second round and again Claire Guida just literally running to the middle of the octagon uh, just I, I just love him he's just the passion he's got uh, he's just got no kind of slowdown he doesn't take a break he's got cardio for days um, again he was able to to uh, get uh, the takedown was able to uh, get Johnson in, in like almost a seated position was uh, trying to uh, work the back uh, but once he realised that he wasn't able to be able to do that, it was he just uh, uh, was able to transition and 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 keep uh, Johnson uh, on the on the floor. But uh, once they got back to the feet again, uh, Guida was just the quicker with the shots. Johnson would uh, was was good with uh, landing his own shots, and he has a lot of power. But Guida's just got that that uh, kind of volume. That he just keeps firing at you for 15, 25 minutes, so whatever kind of match he's in, and and going into the third round again, it was it was a case of uh, Guida scoring the takedown, getting the the kind of points on on the judges' score uh, scorecards, and just doing it uh, a plenty of offense to to basically uh, pressurize Johnson and and really frustrate him. Um, all the way through this this third round, um, he had Guida was had a Johnson struggling on the floor, um, almost got the chalk uh, right at the end, but Johnson was able to fend it off. Um, great, great um, kind of like and almost like the Dariushin Ferreira fight from earlier, but a great kind of showing of ground game from uh, Guida and great uh, showing of defence from. From Johnson, but yeah, Claire Guida picks up a, a well-deserved unanimous victory. Or Strankalizer. 
There's absolutely no. He's. You won't think he's been a. He's been around for absolutely donkey's years. He's. He's still. He's thirty of UFC fat. I don't, unbelievable. Over eighty. Over eighty professional fights these two have had combined, and it's just absolutely mental for. Be near enough as well. Most of them being in the UFC, they've been in the UFC that long, and you. It's one of them fights what you look at, it's like you don't really have a dog in the fight, it's like you you like them both, you don't really mm-hmm. don't really matter who sort of wins, you're gonna feel bad for one of them and you're gonna feel happy for another one of them. And and in this case, uh, Johnson just seemed to lose the fight because of what he's known for, his his lack of wrestling defence and for someone who's such high level and been around for so long, you'd think that I don't know, something had evolved in his game over time with that sort of stuff. Maybe it's just one of them certain circumstances where it's, you can't teach an old dog new tricks, but Clay Guida did exactly what you think Clay Guida would do. He's got such a basic game, but that's what makes him exciting. He's, he can use it, because it's either he's, he's wrestling in his pressure, or his right hand, or his head kick. He hasn't really got much more than that, and... Just to say them three things, and he's still fighting at elite level and winning, mm-hmm. it's just just amazing for him to say that he's been around for such a long time and the three weapons that elite athletes have got, I, I beat that every day. and he, he makes it work for him just with how much pressure he's able to just put on you and just from start to finish, he does not stop. He's honestly like a wild dog. Once, he's, once that collar's come off, he's... He's not stopping up until he gets up until he gets healed again, and that's that's exactly what Clay Greeder is. And with his wrestling, his trademark, obviously going from um, Uriah's team, what's it called? Alpha, alpha male. male. Being an alpha male, they're they such because they, they they generally the smaller guys come from there, and with the smaller guys, they've got a lot more energy. They they a, a, a lot more faster, a lot more sharper, and when they're wrestling there, it's just wrestling drills, wrestling drills, wrestling drills, and the a lot of people, especially in America, they'll know with how much wrestling it, it takes a lot of stamina out of you as well, so you, you're using a lot of strength, and it builds you up, you get stronger from wrestling, and that's what Claire Guida's been able to do, because he's, he's been doing it for so long, that's why he's been able to have good cardio over so many uh, so many years, and he's been able to actually keep that sort of pace over the actual... Uh, three five minute rounds that he's he's having in the UFC, and as well with the guillotine, he I was a, he's well known for his guillotine. And in this fight, he had it opened up a couple of times, and he just thought, fuck it, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to punch him in the face again and, <laughs> and see if see if he can hit me back and see if I'm still awake afterwards. And that's the, one of the other exciting things about Clay Guida. He's one of them fighters who you don't care who he's fighting. You, you just want to watch you fight because you know it's going to be a good fight and as soon as he started bleeding I thought oh here we go again uh, scar tissues opened up this is going to be a bit of a bloodbath and I was surprised how much it didn't actually from where the cut were at the top of the head they usually piss out with blood then yeah. he, I think his body's just been sick of bleeding that way he's bled that much his body's just like no fuck you I'm not, I'm not giving you any more blood I'm not bleeding he's just run out of blood he's just run out of blood and he must be. He's like a zombie. He just, he just walks you down. Just walks you down. And he just doesn't stop. Well, a, a good victory for him, but and 
this was more of a moral victory for him. Obviously, he's already a Hall of Famer, a legend, and probably not long off retiring. Can't really say that he's going to be in a title picture soon or a top five fight, because that's, that's not going to be the case. But he's, he's just one of that. I'm happy to see what he does if he retires, fair enough. But if he has one or two more, I'll, I'll watch him. <laughs> um, so let's get into these two um, two core main event, main event cards, um, main event fights. Wow! If if you were kind of that um, a, a, a casual um, UFC fan and you weren't really impressed with the the ground game, um, these two fight, these two next fights are, are gonna. Um, Send you home happy. Yeah, so watch it. Take less than five minutes. Yeah. Um, so we go first into the bantamweight division with our former lightweight champion Frankie Edgar taking on the uh, number two ranked Corey Sandegg. And Corey uh, coming to his fight, actually quite pissed off that he wasn't uh, in the fight against uh, Petter Yam. Uh, he he felt he deserved the the fight over Aljamain Sterling, which I don't particularly agree with, but I can understand him being pissed off because he is the number two rank. And he's just uh, come up, was he pissed off for? He's not long just come off a loss from Aljamain Sterling. I know, but uh, you know what these fighters are like. But uh, if he was pissed off, it was uh, certainly Frank Edgar who took the took the brunt of it. Um, started off fairly. Um, Fairly in a typical Frankie Edgar way, where he comes and delivers, uh, starts like trying to chop his opponent's legs down, um, really kind of pushing the pressure. Uh, Sandhagen was uh, able to avoid some shots, and just as Frankie was uh, coming in to, to rush him, Sandhagen just jumped. And I think it, I, I, I'm gonna have to go back and watch the fight, but I think it was the only shot that he threw, he landed a perfect knee, uh, and he he. It's, I swear he killed Frankie Edgar. Frankie Edgar was clean out from the knee. He fell head first, hit the floor. His toes were all curled up. His muscles seized up. Um, Corey Sandhagen looked absolutely devastated that he'd, he'd done this to uh, who is like essentially a living legend in, in Frankie Edgar. He certainly wasn't in uh, any kind of mood to, to celebrate. He was really concerned for his opponent, which is a real touch of class. Uh, but yeah... 28 seconds and uh, Frank Edgar is knocked clean out. Yeah, you know, I'm actually, I were, I were out about that, but now you said that and you say we're pissed off because you're going to be like, nah, fuck your flame, Nick. Like, <laughs> that's, that's, how stupid can you, how stupid can you sound like you, 7th of June, two, 2020, your first round submission loss to, to Aljamain Sterling, how how do you think in any way that you're gonna that you should be next? You you lose a fight, then you're next in front, then you're next in line for a title shot. Corey, explain that. How, is, how does that work out? In what? I'm fair enough if you was a massive name in the UFC, fought as a money fight here, but let's face it, you ain't got that bargaining power, mate. I. That book, that fly knee, all right, though. I'm not going to lie, he's pretty <laughs> cool. He, he's, his full body were clenched, he's, he's, his feet were clenched, his toes were clenched, his biceps, his trap, everything. He, he, I feel sorry for him because it was just one of them, them horrible knockouts where you just think, fuck, I want to see his CT scan. Yeah. Uh, just, 
And they don't let you see it, that's what pisses me off. If someone who's a sports science student, they don't let you see that sort of stuff. And it's like, I want to see it because it's, it just goes to, a lot of, I think it did actually educate a lot more people on the respect that these fighters deserve. And not only that, enlightens the, the fact of the danger behind it of, as you've got a lot of people out there who want to be fighters and a lot of people out there who are very ignorant to the sport and if you were to promote this side as well I think you'd have a, a lot of more people training smarter, not sparring as hard constantly because I, I know a lot of gyms out there and I know a lot of instructors personally that as their fighters sparring hard week in week out and we all know that's not good especially when you're taking heavy headshots in, in sparring and then you're still fighting and, and taking a lot of headshots. We've had, they say advocates come out for it, like uh, they say like uh, Max Holloway, um, Tony Ferguson, people. Like He's come out and said that they haven't generally sparred, or if they have, they've done very little, and it's been very light, and mm -hmm. it's a lot safer. And it's, I think, if you were to just release some of that information, obviously with fighters discretion if they're happy to release their information that's fair enough but I think it'd just be knowledgeable for fans to be able to see that the other sides the part instead of just going or getting the cage and, and entertain us I think it'd be instead of just seeing these photos afterwards of a fighter with stitches in going oh I had a brilliant night yeah I lost but thanks for the support and I think they'd have a little bit more support if they found out a a lot what's going on a lot more backstage than what's just getting portrayed to them through a camera mm -hmm. so let's go into this main event um alistair over in making a, a big deal of this being his uh his kind of last push for ufc uh, gold that kind of one tile that's eluded him throughout his storied career uh taking on one of our favorite fighters just because of uh of the way he uh, laid the smack on Greg Hardy, Alexander Volkov. Um, yeah, I don't know how to feel about this fight. Um, from the very beginning of the fight, I, I felt that Overeem didn't look like he either wanted to be there or there was his drop-off in, in kind of energy and skill was just it fell off a cliff because from the first shot he took he was cowering and 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 uh, uh turtling up on against the cage um landed some good shots all through the the two rounds that the fight went through but every time uh, uh volkov landed something it you could it was almost if you remember brock lesnar being in the ufc when he took shots to the face it hurt him and he didn't like it. This was what it felt like with Overeem. And, and we're talking about a guy who's took shots from the very best of fighters. This is a guy who not long ago went five rounds with one of the hardest hitting people on the planet in uh, Jozinho Rosenstruik. And this guy was was unable to handle the shots from Volkov. I mean, I like Volkov, but he's not the biggest, strongest heavyweight. He's not the hardest hitter in, in the division. He's more like um, a Stefan Struve uh, in terms of power than he is a, a Rosenstruik. But every time he landed a shot, over him looked hurt. He looked, he looked uh, worried. He looked like he was uh, panicky. Um, so uh, the first round, um, Volkov just absolutely was dominating, just aggressive up against the uh, up against the cage, aggressive in the middle of the octagon. 
um, coming into the second round, um, you could see the damage that uh, uh, that Volkov did in that first round, and you could see all the 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 blood all over over his face. And Volkov was just he was just able to land his shots as and when he wanted. There was no defence from from over him apart from covering up and 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 turtling when he got hit. Um, he tried to go for a takedown. Wasn't able to to land it. Uh, Volkov landed a, a a good couple of shots, which meant uh, which uh, led to uh, Overeem kind of like ru- rushing to the fence to to lean up against it. Uh, again, went down for the the takedown, couldn't get it, and he just seemed worn out. And Volkov uh, hit him whilst uh, Overeem was kind of like backing down, and Overeem he. It's not even like he got knocked down from the shot. It's like he he gave up. He went down to his his knees, uh, covered his face, and and before uh, Volkov could even land any kind of like uh, shots to finish the fight, Herzog uh, ruled the fight off. And I don't blame him because Overeem just didn't look like he wanted to be there. And Volkov uh, picked up a, a really good victory. Yeah, it's like you were saying, you've covered most of the majority of the fight. Like you say, when he went down, I think it was more of the case of his nose is definitely shattered. His nose is fucked completely, and you can tell that around mm-hmm. the blood were pouring out of it. And it, it just it hurts. Once, you, once your nose is gone, and you're still having, like, this is a heavyweight throwing his hands at you, and just a big truck hitting you inside at like face and in front of face. Once your nose is already popped, and once it's already gone and shattered, Every single time you're getting pushed on it, it's just getting broke even more. It mm-hmm. hurts even more. It's getting, it's getting pushed more and more into your face, and it just it, it's throbbing. You don't even have to. Uh, when I spoke, luckily enough, I'm not had my nose broken properly like that. But I have spoke to people in our gym, uh, one of our the, one of the biggest guys, and I remember it like it was yesterday. I was only like thirteen or fourteen, and big Ben White, the heavyweight that yeah. we had in our gym, he had his nose. Uh, one of the farts he had was a bloodbath. Him and the guy walked out of it and don't know that they get called off due to blood blood or for how much because they were both just pissing out with blood. And I remember uh, Ben's face. He, he his, his face wasn't that bad. He wasn't bruised or battered. Or he didn't have like swollen eyes. Cheek were a bit swollen or but his his nose was just broken, just plastered into his face. And I were I were asking him about like the pain and and all that sort of stuff. And he was saying like. Some stuff, like when your adrenaline's kicking in, you don't feel a lot of stuff, but stuff like that, once it's constant there and it's right like in front of your brain, like your senses are right there and your senses are, it's not taking, it's just right there, say, oh, he's fucking hurt, hurting this, and mm-hmm. you, you're getting so much back that, it, I don't care who, who you are, you you can only take so many hits like that before you think, fuck this, this is, this is not worth it, like, I'm going to have to go down that. Like, Look at how much punish Rory McDonald took in that uh, Robbie Lawler fight, and he had to go down eventually. And you just surprised how much punishment you can take. And I think it's that sort of stuff goes along the lines of how much can you take. And Overeem has took so much punishment and gives so much punishment over the last decade or so. He's been around the block for so long. And going on to his training obviously he was saying this is his last run and at the title and he wanted to be his best run and fair enough I, I admired his uh, his decision to do that personally I didn't think it was going to work and unfortunately I was right it didn't work out for him but when he was saying about how he only trains once and then has a good couple of days rest but he'll do that hard like 
It's my personal opinion, fair enough. If I do a, a training regime for my friend Reese, doesn't mean it's going to work for my friend Connor. Mm -hmm. yeah, everyone's an individual, so everyone works separately. And So, yeah, it's fair enough. That, that could work for him, but my opinion on that is, why, if your body can't accept the training and that much you're doing it, why kill yourself in one day to take four or five days off to recover and rest? Why not just space it out, train smart, couple of days, then have a rest day? Because I think that's what got him in this fight, just the inactivity in the gym, not just... Because he's had a lot of activity in the, in the octagon. The last, it's not like he's he took a three-year three year hiatus and thought, I'm just going to come back now. He's been in the octagon. and So that's why I just think his time in the gym, he's just... On personally, on that sort of level that he competes at in the UFC, if you're one of these fighters that only can go into the gym once, once or twice a week, like look at Derek Lewis, how much trouble he were having with his back, and then he were only training. Well, he could only train for like half an hour at a time before his back was just in agony, and he, he he felt like he couldn't stand up, and that sort of that sort of were, were wearing on him, and it's the exact same with uh, Alistair. He's not getting the time in the gym, so he's not. He's not doing the techniques that he should be doing. He's not doing the drills that he should be doing. And whereas Volkov, on the other hand, he's evolved in the game. We've gone back to like look at when I said earlier about Michael Johnson about you think someone like that could evolve in his wrestling defense game, and you can see where Volkanovski's evolved in that department over the last couple of years. When he just like I say, I think they said it just over a little over uh, four years ago. He debuted with the UFC, and mm -hmm. he were a bit on a, he were a bit on a, a a rocky patch where it were one win, one loss, two wins, one loss, and he couldn't seem to get get his foot in uh, into the right place. And I think that were all because of how many people was trying to take him down. Obviously, in his last promotions, he was a bigger guy, more intimidating guy. No one's just going to shoot in him and uh, in on him as quick. So he were, his opponents were basically allowing him to use his long reach and use his heart for to basically get him off. And a lot of people can say, yeah, that doesn't count because they both had 80-inch reach. But at the end of the day, he was uh, Volker was a, a, a taller opponent, so yeah. he's always got that high ground. So it doesn't matter if you've got the bigger reach on him, he's going to be able to use that reach better than you are. He's punching down where you're punching up. It's just simple it's science. It's, you can't argue with it. But where he's evolved in that game where in the UFC a lot of people aren't going to fucking stand there uh, on the end of his punches and let him just like, shoot off. So they have been shooting at him to try and take him down and take him down and he's had to deal with that. It's all in the gym, in the octagon, people trying to take him down constantly. So his wrestling defence has improved so much now where he can just let his hands go free. He can open up his shots because he knows if someone shoots on him... He's comfortable and confident enough that his wrestling defence will help him out and the skill set that he's evolved in the gym will help him out enough in the octagon to where he can just defend the takedown, scuffle it, right, I'm back to I'm back to neutral ground where we're in you're in front of me eating my punches where I want you to be and if he does that because he's only young, so he's got a, a very a, a good fight and a, a good prospect for that heavyweight division. But Steve Miocic came out earlier, I think it was either yesterday, saying, I know I'm only getting older, but at the end of the day I'm getting wiser as well. Uh, I think he's getting fighting with Ngannou soon, and 
he said at the end of the day, yeah, it's been gone, he might have got better, but so have I, and the outcome's mm-hmm. going to be uh, the same. And I think Volkov could, he's in that position where if he is on the right track, he could shine to be that next person in the position to where Stipe is. And it just makes it, just makes it a lot easier because if he is on that right path, he's got to look at the people who's in front of them because if Stipe goes, you've only got people like Bones and Garnu to look at, Rosenstruck, so people who are still heavy hitters and people who are going to give you a challenge. So yes, you can do that to Overeem, but can you do this to the top five and top three? Yeah, you make a, a, a lot of good points there. Just, um, it's just a shame that this is how Overeem's going to go out in his career. And I suppose it happens to a lot of fighters. You, you don't realise that you, you suddenly can't hack it at the top anymore. Uh, these young fighters and this just shows that we, we've said time and time again how quickly MMA is evolving and it is leaving a lot of, of the, the older guard fighters behind it definitely is Like you're hearing a lot more fighters I, I agree with Connor on the sense when he came out a couple of months ago basically saying that you, a lot of the older ones should be choosing the fighters rather than just accepting the fights that the, the UFC are putting in front of them because I I understand that a lot of them are going to be looking for some money farts, a lot of them on haven't got the sort of financial benefits or the, the career benefits that a lot of others have got, so a lot of them who have been fighting for a long time uh, are going to want a couple of paydays to actually just get out and, and enjoy a little happy retirement with a little bit of a, a rainy day fund to support them. And I think that's where Connor's idea comes into play with these fighters, let them sort of Make, make their own league, make like a little Legends League where it's people like Cerrone, people like all these fighters who know that they, they're not going to want to chase for a title but they still have the love for fighting, make that sort of stuff. I, I think it'll be good for them. They said you, you're separating the bunch then aren't you? you? The people who still want to fight and that like you're giving them fighters but then you're not feeding them to the young upcoming fighters. Personally I think them young upcoming fighters should be fighting the other upcoming fighters because in this day and age, there's too many fighters who go, oh, I've beat that name, so I need that, that name. It's like, just because you've beat him, like, would you have beat him five or ten years ago when he was kicking the shit out of everybody else? you got to ask yourself them sort of, beating him now when he's, he's ten years down the line is not really that impressive. So it's, uh, that's, that's how I look at it. So, next week, um, we have got another numbered UFC event. Um... And it's a massively stacked card. Um, Gillian Robertson's back, taking on Miranda Maverick. We've got Ricky Simone and Brian Keller, uh, and they're just the early prelims on the on the uh, televised prelims. Pollyanna Viana against Mallory Martin, Bilal Mohammed against Diego Lima, uh, Jim Miller against Bobby Green, and then a main card. Whew, uh, we've got Pedro Munoz versus Jimmy Rivera. Uh, Ian Harnish taking on Kelvin Gastelum, Macy Barber uh, taking on Alexa Grasso, and then the main event, the welterweight um, championship on the line, Kamara Usman taking on perhaps his most dangerous opponent yet in Gilbert Burns. So that's going to be a, a, a war of a fight. Um, so definitely come back and uh, listen to what we thought of that show next week. Uh, but. Um, that's it for for today um 
before I go, uh, definitely go on uh, the Tune the Sports uh, YouTube channel and check out Carl's uh, side project of, of of interviews with up and coming fighters and and coaches in in uh, MMA. Uh, he's absolutely killing it on uh, on YouTube and and on Podbean with with the numbers. So uh, yeah, go and give uh, give him a listen there. Uh, follow the show at DJ Kirby. Follow. Uh, Carlos, uh, follow me at DJ Kirby, should I say? Follow Carlos at Kirby underscore Carlos. Follow uh, the show at Five Rounds Pod on uh, Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter. Um, follow all the networks Visionaries Global Media, uh, Chair Shop Radio Network, and Shooting the Sports Ish. Uh, thank you all for listening, and that is the end. Shit, quick shout out to Juliana Roberts and her head coach, Dean Thomas. Stay tuned for a little secret behind that in the next uh, couple of weeks. Adios, amigos. The Chairshot.com. Always use your head.